0: Following a tough year for his social media and real estate holdings, Donald Trump is no longer a member of the Forbes 400. In a moment, we'll talk with Dan Alexander about the former president's falling net worth and what it could mean for his 2024 ambitions. Hi, everybody. I'm Brittany Lewis with Forbes Breaking News. Joining me now is my colleague, Forbes senior editor, Dan Alexander. Dan, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: First of all, I want to extend a big congrats, the Forbes 400. The list of the wealthiest Americans has just dropped, but someone who did not make the list this year is former President Donald Trump. So first, can you tell us why? How much did his net worth decrease since last year and what caused the drop?
1: Yeah, so we have Donald Trump at $2.6 billion. Uh, obviously that's a lot of money, but not quite enough money to make the Forbes 400. The cutoff for this year was $2.9 billion. Last year we had Trump at 3.2 billion dollars. The biggest reason for that 600 million dollar decline is what's happened to Truth Social, his social media platform. Basically, a year ago, you know, people could still hold out hope that there were going to be hordes of people joining this thing, and that you know Trump would therefore become very rich because they get a lot of advertising dollars. It hasn't happened. Uh, you know, people just never really showed up. Right now it looks like they have about six and a half million accounts. Uh, That's about 1% of the number of accounts that are on Twitter. And obviously Twitter itself is struggling. So all of that's been very painful for Trump's sort of nascent social media platform. Uh, And that's not his only problem. Of course, he also is a big owner of office real estate at a time when office values are dropping across the country, but particularly in places like downtown San Francisco, where he has one of his most valuable properties and also, of course, in Manhattan.
0: Let's talk about that real estate a little bit more. Before he forayed into politics and social media, Trump was known for his real estate. So you said that the value of his properties seemingly went down. Did that affect all of them? And was there any property in particular that was more affected than others?
1: Yeah, so it you know impacted different properties, uh, different amounts. But... I would say the one that was the hardest hit was probably 555 California Street. This is a big sort of broad-shouldered office building right in the heart of downtown downtown San Francisco. Uh, it has 1.8 million square feet in it, and you can't chop it up in housing. Huge floor plates, uh, sort of, you know, marquee, white shoe, law firm, bank sort of office building. Obviously, all of those kind of tenants Uh, need less space now. And although the building so far has been able to hang on, still is full and people are still paying rents, there are some really troubling signs ahead. So in the next three years, more than half of the rent uh, that that building generates right now,
0: those leases are all
1: going to expire. And so they're going to have to re-sign with people uh, at a time when people have a lot of different office spaces that they can choose from, including their own living room or their extra bedroom in their house or whatever. Uh, So that's going to be a difficult process. And also, there have been a number of sales, recent sales in the neighborhood, none of which look great for Trump. So the place right across the street sold a massive discount. You go down the block a little bit, another huge discount. I mean, we're talking about places that have lost, you know, 50, 75% of their value. I said Trump's is hanging on a little bit better than that, but obviously it is impacting him. And so we've got the value of his 30% stake in that property down roughly hundred million dollars in the last year.
0: Things aren't looking so good for his real estate, but you did mention that one bright spot in his portfolio was his golf business. How is that business doing and why?
1: Indeed. yes. Yeah. So, you know, if people aren't going into the office and it's a Friday afternoon and they don't have that much work that week. Uh, they might be more inclined to hit the, the golf course than they used to. And that's benefiting golf property owners across the country, including Donald Trump, who's one of the largest golf investors as an individual of anybody in the country. So his most important property in the United States is called Trump National Doral. This is a golf resort that's down in Miami, Florida. It's got kind of an interesting history. He bought it for about $150 million in 2012 and put a ton of money, over $200 million into the property expecting for it to reap huge profits down the line. What happened instead was as soon as he finished that huge renovation, he got into politics and he turned off a bunch of his potential customers. So this is a place that had historically drawn a lot of people from the Northeast, particularly business travelers, people who wanna have groups, conferences, that sort of thing. All of a sudden Donald Trump is very unpopular in the Northeast where people used to come down to Miami in the winter to enjoy this, this particular property. And if you're hosting some sort of conference, unless it's a political conference, uh, you're probably not going to want to host it at a Trump place because you're going to annoy half of the people that you're going to be inviting. So they lost a lot of business that way. And their, their revenues went from about $92 million in 2015 to about $75 million before the pandemic. Uh, and that dug into their profits in a significant way dropping them from about 12 or $13 million a year to a low of like $4 million. Then the pandemic hits and the revenue falls even further. The place is totally empty. In fact, on the day that it reopened, uh, I happened to be down at the property and, you know, there's nobody there. I walked all the courses, nobody on the courses, all the halls of the hotel rooms were totally empty. I went to the bar, you know, it was a bunch of people complaining about how, uh, you know, the pandemic was a hoax. but There were like two tables and the rest of the place was empty. Um, Now what we're seeing is finally that business is coming back. So their revenues now looks like are at about $106 million. If that's the case, then we estimate that their profits should be approaching $20 million again. So the value of that property has surged as you've seen those financials come back. And that's his most important property, but it's extended across his portfolio in the United States. Uh, where he has another 10 golf clubs in addition to that one.
0: Let's dive into that portfolio a little deeper. We talked about golf properties and real estate. What other assets or deals makes up Trump's portfolio?
1: So the biggest category of assets that he has at the moment is a big cash pile. Now, I say cash, of course, this is invested in, you know, bonds and funds and that sort of thing. It's not like he is, you know, sitting on a bunch of, you know, suitcases of $100 bills. but he has right now an estimated $426 million in cash. Now, that's the result of a handful of things. First of all, in May of 2021, shortly after he left the White House, he and his partner Vornado, which together they own 555 California Street, that San Francisco office building that's fallen on hard times, they refinanced that building and increased the debt load from about $535 million, to $1.2 billion. that allowed them to suck out more than $600 million of cash from that property much of which went to Donald Trump. So that gave him a huge boost. Then flash forward about a year after that, he sells his DC hotel. Remember this hotel attracted tons of headlines and tons of attention while he was in office. Uh, But truthfully, despite all of the allegations of corruption and all that, it was a terrible business. The thing lost a ton of money, um, but Donald Trump sold it in an amazing deal for him. Astronomical sum, doesn't really make any financial sense. Uh, And he walked away from that deal with what we're estimating is about $145 million of cash. So two huge deals right there. Then you've got a couple of other cash injections, which is one, you know, he started giving speeches. Every politician gives speeches after they leave office. It's an easy way to make money. Donald Trump did some of that. He also wrote books. In his case, he wasn't writing, you know, 500 page memoirs of his time in the office. He was doing things like making coffee books and whatever with public domain photos. But regardless, he made a lot of money from it. So you take the speeches and you take the books, combine those, you have about another eighteen million dollars. You add all of that stuff up onto the cash pile that he already had, and all of a sudden he's sitting on over four hundred million dollars of cash. Now, that's gonna be key for him in the next handful of years because of course he's facing massive litigation, including this fraud suit that that's just started, uh, where they're you know trying to disgorge a quarter of a billion dollars from him. So that's He's going to need some cash there if, he, if the verdict goes the wrong way. And secondly, some of these office buildings have their loans coming due, and he's going to have to figure out how to rework those, potentially take a little bit less leverage on those properties. And so he may need some cash to inject into those buildings to pay off those loans. So he has a lot of cash, but he needs a lot of cash. And overall, his empire is a little bit smaller than it was a few years ago.
0: I do want to touch on that fraud suit in just a little bit, but I believe you said the D.C. hotel was terrible business, but he got a terrific deal from it. Can you elaborate on that? How was he able to do that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, So, you know, he right before the pandemic, he announced that he wanted to sell his D.C. hotel. Now, this hotel, the problem was, is that he spent so much darn money remodeling the thing. And he just basically put too much in. So he had huge interest expenses. This was a variable rate loan. Uh, and so as interest rates went up, you know his interest expenses were gonna go up. And he had big interest expenses and it wasn't turning much of an operating profit. And so each year he was having to inject more and more money into the hotel to keep it afloat. Finally, he basically threw up his hands and said, okay, I'm done and I'm gonna sell this thing. And then voila, the pandemic hits. All of a sudden, it's the worst possible time to sell a huge hotel. Who wants a hotel in the middle of a major city at a time when nobody's traveling? So it was, you know, he looked like kind of a fool there for a second, couldn't get any money out of the thing. Now all of a sudden, he has to inject even more money into this money losing property. And so things look like it's really dicey. But then, of course, travel resurges as sort of the pent up demand from the pandemic comes back. And also the amount of money that people are willing to spend on real estate services. And frankly, some people start making dumb deals. They just have a ton of cash and they start spending amounts of money that don't make any sense. Uh, in this case, this is a private equity shop out of Miami. Um, and they spent a crazy amount of money. There was some seller financing involved. Uh, so that, Helps juice the price even more. So, in other words, Donald Trump lent to the person who was buying his own building, saying, Hey, if you pay a little bit more, I'll lend you some of the money. So that helped helped juice the price a little bit more. But at the end of the day, they just paid a huge sum. uh, And it's difficult to imagine them getting their money back, at least anytime soon.
0: Dan, overall, you're painting somewhat of a bleak picture of uh, Trump's financial state, but it's not that bleak, obviously. He is worth $2.6 billion. So, Has he fallen off of the Forbes 400 at any other point in history? Can you walk us down memory lane, if you will?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So if we go back 41 years, uh, Forbes 400 begins. 1982, first list, Donald Trump cons his way onto the list. At the time, you know, he's a young, brash, 30-something developer who really just has a rich dad, Uh, but he acts like it's all his. And uh, so he convinced the reporter that, he had a larger share of the family fortune than he actually did. And so he goes on with his dad. They split a fortune at $200 million, $100 million a piece. He stays on the list there for a handful of years. And of course, he gets ahead of himself. Everybody's familiar with the fact that he spent outrageous amounts of other people's money in Atlantic City and doing crazy things like buying the Plaza Hotel and a New Jersey football team that he thought he was going to beat the NFL with, all oh, this just a yacht, you know, all this crazy stuff. And uh, the problem with spending a lot of other people's money is that eventually they start asking for it back. And Donald Trump didn't have enough money to pay it back. So then you see a slew of bankruptcies. So in 1990, he's removed from the Forbes 400 for the first time, knocked off devastating story that a couple of old time great reporters uh, wrote on his finances saying that his net worth at the point was within a hailing distance of zero. That may have been generous at the time. Uh, he you know really was in a tough tough spot he was off the Forbes 400 for five years Uh, his Atlantic City properties you know were a disaster Uh, but what happened is he basically was able to shun the problems there and hang on to enough of his New York real estate that he was able to come back in 1996 he makes it back on the Forbes 400 for the first time Uh, he ends up building up his fortune at some point uh, he actually deserves to be on the Forbes 400, and uh, you know was a was a, a true member. He was no longer lying about how much he had gotten from his dad. He was really rich, uh, but of course, you know, he had a huge help from his from his family. But he'd fought through all of this stuff, and you know, had been fairly successful. Uh, then he runs for president, and truthfully, the presidential run really messed with his business. Uh, it's a you know difficult thing to polarize your business, especially any consumer-facing part of it. Uh, so think hotels or you know, branded products. Uh, if you suddenly are turning off half of your customers, it's gonna be a problem. Um, so Donald Trump's business really starts to, to slip while he's in office and then the pandemic hits. And so in 2022, uh, he gets, excuse me, in 2021, he gets dropped from the Forbes 400 for the first time. Um, and then in 2022, he now all of a sudden has a social media app. And uh, there's tons of excitement about it. Investors think that this is gonna be an amazing sort of antidote to Twitter, uh, super hyped up. uh, And we end up valuing that at $730 million, which was conservative compared to what investors thought it might be worth at the time. Uh, And then he, that social media uh, app collapses and now he's back off the list. So he's been on and off various times over the years. We'll see if he gets back on in the future.
0: And let's talk now about some news that broke last week. A New York judge ruled Trump, the Trump Organization, and his business associates, including some of his children, committed fraud by inflating the value of their assets. So give us the backstory here. You recently wrote for Forbes that Trump is notorious for avoiding a paper trail. So how did this catch up to him?
1: So the fundamental problem is that if you're trying to convince banks Or insurers that you're really, really rich, which he was trying to do, that you're richer than you are, which he was trying to do. You have to sign a bunch of papers and agree to a bunch of things saying, yeah, hey, this is all real. You know, I'm actually this rich and I signed this, you know, and there are going to be penalties if if I'm lying to you, whatever. So he did that, and that creates a huge paper trail. Uh, Now he's faced with trying to convince prosecutors that that paper trail that he left, uh, that really he, you know, it wasn't all that serious. He, he didn't, he wasn't really saying that all of those things were necessarily real. He had huge disclaimers on all the documents and they, you know, were just suggestions and they didn't even matter and banks didn't take them seriously anyway. Um, that's a very, very difficult case for him to make. And that's why you saw a judge rule that he was personally liable for fraud before the the trial even started. Uh, Trump's fighting an uphill battle here. The documents are very clear. Uh, He was lying about his net worth for years. He did send that to lenders uh, and he's going to have a tough time at trial.
0: How does this decision that in New York affect his business going forward in the future?
1: So a lot remains to be seen about what the penalties are going to be and what he's forced to do. So there's been some talk about, you know, is he going to have to to sell off assets. Uh, The judge has been a little bit unclear about whether he's going to have to do that and what he's going to have to sell off. You know, Theoretically, if you sell off assets, then you can get money back for them. Uh, Many of his properties are not highly leveraged, so he should theoretically be able to sell them off and pay back the loans that he owes. One property that might be a bit of a challenge is 40 Wall Street. This is a tower that he owns in the financial district in New York City. Um, but he does have some protection in that two of his largest assets are 1290 Avenue in the Americas and 555 California street, two buildings in which he only owns 30% interests alongside tornado realty trust, which owns the other 70%. It's difficult to see them, uh, forcing any, you know, drastic action with those, especially because Trump was more honest, uh, about the finances of those properties and they're controlled by somebody else. Um, and like I said, he does have a significant amount of cash that he can use to pay whatever penalties um, or other things that he's going to face. This is going to restrict him a lot um, and it's going to affect his ability to grow, uh, but Donald Trump's not going to become a poor person because of this trial. Um, it's, it's just going to be painful for him.
0: Let's talk about him and his campaign. As we know, he is the front runner in the 2024 presidential election. He's faced in this calendar year alone, many lawsuits for indictments and his polling hasn't really budged. He is the front runner by leaps and bounds. But how will these uh, lawsuits, the indictments affect his campaign financially?
1: Well, you know, Donald Trump has, since he ran in 2016, he hasn't really put any of his own money into his campaign anyway. Uh, In fact, it's kind of gone the other way. He's used money that other people have put into his campaign to pay his businesses um, and in many cases to pay his legal costs. So uh, it theoretically shouldn't have much effect on his campaign's operation, given that his campaign, it's already budgeted basically that they're going to receive zero dollars from Donald Trump. And I don't think that you're going to see, uh, you know, big fall off in the support either, um, you know, people have seen the allegations, uh, both from his business career and from his political one. And, you know, there's a segment of people who are diehard Trump supporters and it's, you know, hard to imagine, um, you know, what would push that group over the edge to not support him, to not give the campaign money and therefore to have significant financial ramifications on the campaign.
0: He's worth 2.6 billion, according to your reporting. That's nothing to sneeze at. He's also in a crowded field filled with senators, governors, and the like, business people, those types of candidates. How does his net worth stack up to those other contenders?
1: So he's the richest by far. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy is uh, the only person who's anywhere in the same ballpark. Vivek uh, was a billionaire at one point, the um, stock price of his main holding fluctuates, and so it depends on the day. Um, and nobody else is, uh, you know, that close. Doug Burgum is a rich guy. Um, you know, he's the governor of North Dakota. Uh, most of the other sort of career politician people, you know, you're talking about anywhere from, you know, one or two million bucks to maybe 10. Um really, really kind of in a league of his own. Uh, and. You know, let's be real. I mean, it's a big field, but uh, this field is—it's two people. I mean, it's Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Donald Trump is running away with the Republican nomination. Joe Biden's going to be the Democratic nominee. Uh, Joe Biden, you know, is worth about ten million dollars. So, totally different, uh, different personal finances between what are likely to be ultimately the two contenders in this race.
0: You're saying he's injecting near zero, if not zero, of his own dollars into his campaign. But financially speaking, is running for president again going to be good for him?
1: Uh, no, I don't think that running for president was ever good for him. I think that it, you know, was um, it had some positive effects on certain assets and there are some transactions that you know he clearly benefited from. Uh, but there's also a lot of negative. Um, you know, having 50% of the country hate you is not good for business. And having, you know, the amount of scrutiny that comes with being the president or a top presidential candidate is not good for business either. Um, If Donald Trump had not run in 2016, it's hard to imagine that he would be dealing with any small fraction of the litigation that he's contending with now. That's a distraction in addition to being a financial cost. Uh, So no, I don't think that, Running for president um, is a good financial move for Trump. Uh, but you know, he what drives him is as much you know fame and uh, attention as it is money at this point. And certainly uh, for fame and attention, running for president is where you get it.
0: Dan Alexander, per usual, thanks for the insights. Thanks for the reporting. I hope you come back soon. Yeah, thanks you for having me.